Welcome to Midweek Matinee, a weekly movie podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as is what it is these days, we have Mr. Blake Popes. How you hey, doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Just been good. catching up on my 2020 movies. I've seen. You've been watching a lot of movies lately. It's it, <clears> it's reminding me of like right around the time that COVID outbroke and you were just watching like 50 <laughs> movies. Eight a day. day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've watched nine this week so far. Yeah, you were watching like 27 hours of movies in a 24-hour period. It was blowing my mind. Yeah, it was kind of insane. Yeah. Uh, and hey, speaking of insane, we got Mr. Chris Figs over here. <laughs> What's up? What's up? <laughs> How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready to record. It's late, but that's not a bad thing. We've been having some pre-show fun. There's mm-hmm. nothing like some pre-show fun. Yeah. Uh, but... Got to clean up afterwards. The best way to get into this (coughs) is to first let everyone know that this week we are watching the 2004 movie The Butterfly Effect with Ashton Kutcher and Amy Smart. And if you have not seen it, we're going to be spoiling the hell out of it. So, Mm. uh, just this is something I found pretty interesting. I was watching something earlier today where they did a study that showed that, or where they took people and told them the ending of a novel. Mm-hmm. And then they took other people and didn't, and ha- both had them read the same book, and then they rated how much they enjoyed it. And people t- tended to enjoy the books more when they had been spoiled of the ending first. Ah, interestingly enough, weird. Seems so, weird. Maybe for the first time ever, I'm going to go ahead and say, if you've not watched it, maybe go ahead and listen, and then go back and watch after knowing the the intimate details, and maybe you'll end up liking it more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine with this movie. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the way we always need to start these things off is to kind of just get a room temperature feel of where we are. So, Blake, I'm going to stick with my order. How did you feel about this movie? Because if I'm not mistaken, all three of us had seen this movie prior to today, correct? Yes. yes. Okay, so I coming actually, back to it, how'd you like it? Oh, I loved it. I um, This is <clears> one of my favorite like middle or high school movies or both or whatever. And um, I probably watched it like 100 times back then. Because that was the age of the DVD, and you had like 20, and you just watched those 20 movies all the time. Yeah. And I watched it actually like, I don't know, like a month and a half ago maybe? Two months ago with Haley, because she had never seen it before. But we had watched the director's cut, and that was my first time ever seeing the director's cut. So surprisingly, because I remember, I'm almost positive I owned the one that had both. You just always watched the normal? I just always watched the normal one, I guess. I think it was one of those that was like, clear on both sides and you flipped it and oh, i was never right. sure how that worked so i always <clears> just put it in the same way <laughs> <laughs> well you know some movies uh for dvd used to do it to where the that version of the ending was almost like you'd watch the whole movie you'd see the normal ending and then you would just go watch the director's ending and it would be like the last whatever oh, just ending. like a special feature yeah I, if i'm i could be wrong but i'm fairly positive that's what it was on i am legend when you'd have the movie oh, okay. in you could just go and watch like the last seven to 10 move minutes of the movie, whatever it be. That was actually different. Yeah. This is one of the few movies where I think the director's cut ruins the movie. It's very, very different. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> we will definitely be talking about that in the long run because while we did watch the normal version. So for anybody who's wondering, we did watch the original cut. Um, I think that because we're all aware of what the actual director's ending was and the original choice, that we can talk about that a little bit later. But that's good. I'm glad you liked it, uh, coming back around to it. So, Chris, moving on to you, how'd you like coming back to it? So, um, 
I'll give, I'll give some backstory. I watched this movie maybe three weeks ago. So first off, when you picked it, I was very upset. But <laughs> so, <laughs> you could have told me no. Well, I'm not a monster. It's a fine movie. But so when I watched it, or I I put yes, it was. Well, listen, Your I got some. score is not fine. <laughs> it's not going to be the same because, oh, okay. Okay, as I was sorry. going to say, I rated it a five out of five on Letterboxd when I first watched it. Yeah. And yeah. on rewatched, I have significant problems with this movie, and I think it's be and I think it's because I rewatched it. So it'll be it will be it'll be interested interesting to talk about it. So it's basically yeah, one of sure. those you need to watch and love and never watch again. Yes, exactly. That's how it was for me. Okay. Well, I was a little different. So this is, I have seen the movie before, but only a single time. And okay. while I remembered probably some of the biggest parts of the movie, there was plenty of little parts that whenever I was watching them, like they came back to me, but it wasn't in the sense of like, as soon as the movie started, and I started kind of giving it, oh, okay, that's Evan, that's Kaylee. Immediately, a couple of scenes came back to mind, like, super clear. Thumper. And then the rest were kind of like, <laughs> I remember them, but they're certainly different, you know, than what I they had to do some digging to get back around to them being familiar to me. Uh, but I really enjoyed it, too. Now, that might be... Uh, Blake is interesting in that both of you have both watched the movie far more recent than I have. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then Blake rewatched it. So both of you kind of have a little bit of rewatch, but your rewatch is sooner, more recent than Blake's was. So I had that feeling too, where I was actually watching it from. I was trying to divide myself to where I was watching it as just someone who's wanting to enjoy the movie, and then yeah. I was kind of being a little critical on the side too, where I'd be like, "While I don't think it's necessarily takes away from the movie when you're watching it, and you're not intimately familiar with everything that." It's really fun, but then you have these certain... I don't know if I'd say problems. I do have a couple of things that I think the movie could have probably handled a little bit better. But at least on this watch for me, still being somewhat tied in and trying to hold on to that enjoyment factor, maybe there's some things I would have otherwise caught on a rewatch very recently, you know, very soon after watching it this time that I didn't hear. But we'll sure. talk about those in a little bit. Um, yeah, I had actually so, watched it September 17th. Oh yeah, Thanks so you've got about box. a good, yeah. So you've got almost three months, ish. Yeah, yeah, give or that. take. Yeah, yeah, uh, as opposed to three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Chris, you could have said no, and I would have just saved it for another <laughs> week or something. I still would have. I've watched it recently, so at this, at a certain, I don't mind talking about it. And like I said, I'm almost glad I watched it because now I can put a real rating on my letterbox that reflects how I actually feel about this movie. <laughs> That's why when you said fine, I was like, "That's a real weird five star fine." <laughs> you rate out of okay. ten on letterbox, but don't like, like a custom for it or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I modded it around saying it. I thought Blake was saying that you said, "Oh, it's a fine movie," but he's like, the way that you approached it. I took a negative connotation. Oh, like so he I gave thought it that you had rated it like a one, but like, yeah. it's a fine movie. <laughs> yeah. That Fair. I gave half a star. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, there's a couple of things I think need to be put in here. There's this is a really early example of when CGI was still finding some of its footing. I think and it was good. A lot of the CGI I think really holds up, but there are a couple of scenes in particular 
that just kind of make you go, ah, yes, this is an early 2000s CGI movie. Sure. Or, you know, CGI scene, rather, because I can at least appreciate that 99% of this movie is really not CGI. You know, a lot of it's just practical filming. Mm. Um, But a lot of the things, like when it does the shifts back in time and whatnot, and that's clearly some form of CGI and, and editing trickery and all that that I think does hold up pretty well. I've just, it didn't feel very aged to me at all. It just it was so stylistic that it ended up swinging past the ability to be aged because it was just like, oh, someone knew what they wanted going into it. Yeah. But the one scene that got me <clears throat> that I was just looking at, and I didn't laugh, but it just kind of really pulled me out of the movie for a second, was when the mailbox exploded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah, was like, was ooh, this is rough. His, <clears throat> him being an amputee was really good, like really well done, though. It was like it was a little blurrier than the rest of like the scenes, like the yeah. especially like the tips or the ends. I don't know what you call those of his like arms, stubs, <laughs> stubs. The stubs nubs were a little is blurry. What my buddy who was born without an arm there nubs. Calls okay, it. he so calls the it. Nubs. He calls it his nub. Okay, so the nubs were just a little bit blurrier than the rest of like the scenes, but it wasn't bad by any means. It looked really good. Yeah, yeah, and the big thing about that was like the compositing. Whenever he throws himself on the ground. They did a really good job of filling in the blank space to where they dealt with the shadow that his arm would have naturally cast and all sorts of things to where I'm not going to say it was perfect. Like I may go be able to stop it and look and see it perfectly, but at least in the moment, there was no immediate thing that took me out of it. Yeah. 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 So pretty good CGI effects. Also, while we're just talking about things that I think the movie gets done that aren't necessarily part of the movie, I'm always a big fan of when I feel like they do a good or at least a solid job matching up child actors, teen actors, and then the adult actors to where you feel like across the board, you believe that they could be the same person. I feel like the only person who was kind of a swing and a miss here for me was actually Amy Smart's character, Kaylee. I feel like the kid Kaylee and the teen Kaylee, I could see. And then you get to Amy Smart and I'm like, I don't see it. But See, I'm the opposite. I, thought, yeah. I thought the casting was super well done. Oh, I think across the board it was. Amy Smart, great actress, and I really like her in this role, but she was the least convincing upgrade to me. Well, her Maybe brother so. Tommy was hitter was a little I won't say hit or oh, miss. No, I think Tommy the old Tommy was perfect for like younger Tommy. Well, it was it was weird that this is something that kind of caught my attention, which is they they chose good actors to ultimately portray what they needed to for the given segments that they were doing. But I found it really weird that Tommy at the beginning is taller than everyone. And then suddenly he's way shorter than everyone. I mean, that happens <laughs> when you're kids when you're growing oh, up. Oh, it, it certainly can happen, but it was to the extent that I honestly thought that Tommy was like way older than sure. her because of the way that it was going and then suddenly you see him again and i was almost like was that tommy yeah you know but no, did you. you see him kind of being a dickhead and you're like okay that's probably tommy <laughs> but the rest of this <laughs> like, right. i really thought that lenny specifically <clears throat> i felt like every single one of those iterations felt natural yeah so that was a really good one too but uh across the board yeah so one thing that we've had issues with in the show in the past is establishing our characters. So we're going to go get that out of the way right now. We have Evan, who is played by Ashton Kutcher. We have Kaylee, who is played by Amy Smart. We have Tommy, who I don't know the actor's name, but it's Kaylee's brother. And we have Lenny, which is the fourth friend to round out this this group. So yeah, um, from there, 
Um, is there anything that you want to add that's just we can kind of dive into the story because I think that the story itself and the things it touches on, we can go a little more into that. But is there any outer side stuff that you guys want to mention before we start diving more into the themes and story and different things that it does either right or maybe, as Chris may say, incredibly wrong? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I'm good to just move on. Move on. Move it on in. I think the only thing is that I think – Evan, I think the kid actor for Evan was a bad actor. He was not a great or the kid kid. The the kid. The one who kept having way too much fun being able to say like, hey, Hey, fuck fuck face or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, fuck bag. Yeah. (laughs) Which, hey, fun enough. Which, okay. So, Chris, this is a genuine question because I thought the same thing. But then I started thinking like, wouldn't it feel weird and look like bad acting if, if you were to take an adult person with all of their mental knowledge of everything going on and put them into a kid's body? Like, would they not look and sound as if they were being bad actors because you're not used to a kid being that adult? I think so. Like, I mean, I don't know how to answer that question because I just think he was bad at his job. I don't <laughs> think it has anything to do with Ashton Kutcher. I just don't think he was well, good. Well, what I should say there... <laughs> I shouldn't even say Ashton Kutcher. What I was saying, you know, when you think about adult Evan coming back with all of his adult knowledge into his kid's body, because you know at that moment he's still of his mind from the future. I should, I guess you could call it. But I think I was, yeah, I was with you at first. I thought his acting was very hit or miss, and so was the mother's actually to me. Uh, at least, mm-hmm. definitely in the early stages, and you're going through that. But then once it started being segments where it was Evan sending himself back to his younger self, it felt more like, Oh, I think that either this is still bad acting and it just is, but I'm able to get over it because my brain is somehow telling me that it's supposed to be a adult talking through a kid's body, which is already going to look weird. So the bad acting gets masked by that or it was intentional. I really doubt it was intentional. <laughs> so, but well, I, I mean, to clarify, I thought he was bad in the b- very beginning of the movie. Yes, I agree. Before he goes back in time, so it doesn't really have anything to do with an adult mind. I just think he sucks. Yeah, I, I thought the same <laughs> at the beginning myself. That was the thing I felt. Which See, I didn't think we know that there's some good kid actors know. out there. But, and I can't really know. like defend him, I guess. But I didn't. Okay. I didn't have any issues with him. I shouldn't say that, like, if Chris is saying, which I don't think he is necessarily, but if Chris is saying, like, he was just the absolute worst, no. I am saying this movie would be better with another actor in that role, if that clarifies my take on his acting. <laughs> I don't think that that's necessarily wrong either. So, yeah, I mean, or at least there's a, to me, there's a strong chance that it could be better with another person in, you know? So I'll agree there. But yeah, yeah that's uh, okay. I got you. Kid actors are always an interesting things in these types of movies. And definitely when you're dealing with such dark subject matter, oh, I shouldn't say completely, but I mean, it's dealing with heavy subject matter. I, I mean, guess I think I it's pretty say, dark. Like, yeah. Like, like, one of the kids with, main scenes is about like pedophilia. Yeah, exactly. Like repressed. I, mean, I thought the movie was pretty well lit. Mental illness as a whole and what it does to different people. I mean, it's pretty interesting, even though I do have that thought in my head. Has anybody watched this movie? as we know more and more about mental illness and we're trying to break stigmas, has anybody ever watched this movie and either thought swinging towards the good side that this is like, Oh, 
this is taking what many would consider a mental illness, which is what the movie's kind of defining his thing as. Like they don't know exactly what it is, but since they don't, it looks like a mental illness and it's treated as a mental illness, but it's kind of like a superpower. Or do you think this is one of those things where it's like they're people. And again, I think a large group, but do you think anybody's watched this and been like, they're commoditizing my mental illness? I mean, I'm sure somebody has but positive in 2020 that someone has made that. argument. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, when these older movies end up being rewatched, it's it with the in these more modern times, it's interesting the crap that people will come back forward with and just say, and I'm not even going to say they're entirely wrong or whatever it be, but a movie is kind of supposed to be like a little parcel of what that time period was. So to me, if you're watching a movie that includes racism that was made in the time where racism were around, it doesn't mean that racism's okay, but it makes more sense that it's in that movie. And maybe you can judge parts of that movies that are, that's good around that. You know what I mean? It's certainly a weird way to go about looking at movies because as we move along and even music, we move along and we change what society thinks is okay. But then there's still things about those as or things about those products, those finished products that can still be looked upon fondly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this story here. So Chris has some uh, umbrage with our little kid here, but Chris, do you have any umbrage with the actual way that the story sets itself up? Yeah. I think the entire movie is broken. Oh, are we going to go ahead and break into it? We can, or we can wait. It's really your call. <laughs> well, it sounds but. like the entire movie's broken because of at the start. And I think I actually may know what you're going to say. So, Blake, are you okay with just diving into the, yeah, that's the fine controversy? Yeah. Let's do it. Chris. I'm curious. Brett, I'm curious what you think I'm going to say, mostly because it'll probably be a shorter conversation. <laughs> well, okay. I'm only going to say that there's something that the end of the movie does that directly references the beginning of the movie that immediately made me question in a way what this movie decided to do in terms of, I often refer to it as it's magic, which, you know, we've talked about in other stuff, Chris, where mm. magic is essentially just whatever your special thing about your movie or your story or whatever's going to be, you want to build it up and keep it consistent. And I think a yep. lot of this movie does a really good job of setting things up and then showing how that single thing that we're going to work on here, which in this case is his ability to travel back in time by focusing in on his notes and whatnot. Most of the time it treats it really well <clears> because <throat> he has, he's getting brain damage from it. He's having his memory completely rewiped off and on to where he's having a hard time knowing what necessarily is reality and what is his original self and what's his current reality and those bleed together sometimes so i like that you saw a lot of that and my biggest thing Mm. that i was worried about in the movie whenever it first started i was trying to remember how are the how are the notebooks handled because if he goes back and changes time then the events of the notebooks have to change too but are the notebooks as his device do are they never changing do they stay constant throughout all of these worlds which it looks like is the way that it was approached, but I mean, I'm any, not entirely sure. Anytime you have time travel, you're going to have some shit that doesn't line up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's just, it's bound to happen. Like back to the oh, future sure. is one of the best time travel movies ever. And it's got fucking issues out the, like out crazy issues. You know what I mean? So you need to go play quantum break because up until the very end where they make one remark that ruins it all, it's the most consistent time, time story I've ever seen. It's great. What's that? 
Uh, Quantum Break. Oh, the video game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, from Remedy. Very good. And literally up until the le- the very, very, very end of the game, it's a little remark that's made between a character that completely undoes every bit of what that game sets up to actually make a time travel story that has real rules and real things to set up that explain themselves in a way that actually is sensible. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. The I was wondering <clears throat> that... But the reason I'm not exactly sure about where the journals end up going is because at the end, the journals did not exist because he went too far back to where I I like that. What he went back to was when he was told to start writing journals. So since he changed that, he never actually started writing journals. I don't. Yeah, that was not necessarily my problem, although I can see how that would be a problem. That's the start. So this might be the actual one. All of that leading into whenever you get to this part where at the end he travels back to when he's first writing a note after his mom is told to have him do that. He's sitting there eating breakfast. He gives one to his dog or whatever, and then he gets up. And at the beginning of the movie, you see him standing there with a knife. And then at the end of the movie, it's almost like they're trying to imply that his blackouts were all his future self coming back in the past as if time is a circle. I don't necessarily know that that doesn't work, but it creates a lot of questions that the movie doesn't even begin to try and answer. I Even if it was just basically explaining that those blackouts were like junction points for him to try time travel, I don't know. There's a lot of questions that come up with it. Is that involving your issue? My entire problem is the blackouts. The blackouts oh. were when future him was taking over the body of yes. younger him. And it... No, I, I get that. And it breaks the entire movie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I think the blackouts just being repressed memories makes plenty of sense. Would have been fine way that. more sense. But you see when the blackouts happen, the blackouts happen, at least the ones at the beginning, right? Because that's when I have the most issues. They happen when his father is choking him. And they happen when after... The father choking the, is the other one I was going to bring up as a late scene right. movie that so, in. Yeah. yeah so it breaks the entire the, the entire movie doesn't make any sense because of the blackouts because those are two different points where he alters time in this movie so it doesn't make sense that he would go back to a static past because if it, it just it doesn't work for me and it, it ta- ruins the entire movie so Chris yes because I was able to just watch it as a fun movie, clearly I enjoyed the movie, but yeah, that was the thing that got me too. And that's why I even put the note down about that. So I'm with you in a lot of ways, but can I take you back to a Mm -hmm. conversation we had a while back about how this exact same thing was an issue to me. And I don't want to go crazy into it because it's not what the movie we're talking about, but it's the same way I felt about singular things that would happen that I think messed with the ending of Endgame where they don't do enough to try and make sense of this loop. So it just creates questions that end up staining the way I feel about it. So I'm with you on this one, but I'm only referencing the point that I feel very similar about this one as I felt about the way that they handled cap in Endgame because I feel like, yeah, but I don't agree with you on that because they, they, it doesn't because they've been seeding it throughout the entire MCU. It's always been there. This ruins this movie because they're trying to tell you that he keeps changing time but if the original timeline has him going back to different points mm-hmm. 
with blackouts, but waking up in a different future as a result, then he would have never had his exactly, exactly. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you, and that's why I, I mentioned that my note about the great use of how it sets up its magic, its time travel sets. I was actually really impressed with it for a lot of the movie, and as soon as they started doing those things, I was like, ah, damn. They yeah, I didn't. Like I said, I didn't notice it on the original watch. It's one of those things where you, where you you see it at the end, you put it together when you're watching it a second time, and you're like, oh, that's what the blackouts were. That doesn't make any sense. I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> and there's things they do to try and tie it together just in terms of a, a little bit of consistency. I still agree with you that it ultimately ruins the the ability for an original timeline unless they want to introduce multiple timelines. If you want to tell me that every timeline exists simultaneously, which is not impossible, but the movie doesn't talk about that, then you would have to believe that if he's waking up with his same consciousness, but in a different timeline or a different future, is that a branching path or is that a parallel path that happens as a result of that branch? Like, it's, it creates too many questions. I'm with you. It really is a, it, it bummed me out because it yeah. immediately kind of gave now the movie either. And I knew it wouldn't, the movie has to explain why this works or it just doesn't. Yeah. And the thing is like the, it, you, you watch this movie and the blackouts are not important outside of setting up the fact that he needs to write a journal. So they could have just gotten rid of it. And then the movie works better, but instead they kept it so they could set up this nonsensical thing of a, of a person writing journals for their entire life so that he can keep going back in time just to ruin the entire time travel premise of the movie. I just, I just don't get it. Not to mention that the ending also ruins the time travel presence of the movie, but whatever, <laughs> that's a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, but... Blake, just before I go any further, do you want to chime in on this? I mean, do you have any strong feelings or did you notice this? Or yeah. do you think that the movie shot in such a way where even though it may be there, it doesn't necessarily ruin the movie because it's filmed in a way that mostly has you uh, not ignore it, but you don't draw attention to it? What, what yeah. do you think? I've noticed that stuff, but it doesn't bother me because like I said, all time travel movies, if you break them down into like their small nuances and like, really dive deep into the story and why this happens or what if this happened if you time travel what if you know wouldn't you you know if you went back in time and killed your grandpa how would you go back in time because you never existed or whatever you know all these different questions right, or whatever but yeah so when i go into movies that i know have time travel in them i immediately suspend my disbelief and just go with it so yeah i guess i was just gonna say so sorry, it doesn't really ahead. bother me i don't know chris go ahead I don't know. I would just disagree. Not necessarily disagree. I can't really disagree that something bothers yeah, you. Yeah, because I don't disagree with y'all. Like, <laughs> you're not wrong. I just don't care. <laughs> I just think the difference between this and other time travel movies is that they try really hard to set their fiction properly. And, and when the entire premise of your movie is if you change one action, you change everything. And then for some reason, you decide that it doesn't change anything really <laughs> except it also changes everything sure. it doesn't make any sense sure. it's not like you know no even if you want to go back to the captain america example from endgame at least there's a little bit 
of wiggle room there where it makes some sense. But I would say this. <laughs> I, I would say. I mean, I just think Brett's take is just inconceivably wrong about Captain America, but I can at least see where he's coming Brett, from. Captain America is like the Captain I, of America. Hey, I'll see one thing too. Having not seen literally every single Marvel movie, there could be something in any of the other movies that makes all of that make total sense. So, I mean, I think it makes sense in the movie. So, regardless, I disagree. But, with you. Yeah. but my point Going, is more that at least in that one, it doesn't break the movie. If anything, it's consistent with the way they're talking about time travel in that movie, where it's not in this one. It literally flies in the face of the way they set up time travel. Because if the original timeline has all of the same blackouts from this entire movie, then either the beginning of the movie can't happen. Or everything that happens throughout the movie can't happen because the original timeline is always going to be the same timeline. So then this movie should have been about him continuously trying to go back and nothing changing. Or it should have started with him fucking going back in time. If it starts with him and that the beginning is the beginning of him doing everything and writing his fucking suicide note or whatever he's writing and then going back in time, if that's how the movie starts and they continue it that way, then whatever. But it starts off with that then goes 13 years later to what I imagine is an original timeline. The blackouts happen there, which implies that the future is also happening. Right. Which means that he can't change the future. So it breaks the entire movie. If the future is happening, if the future is happening for him to go back in time, then the past can't happen the way that we're shown in the movie. Sure. Like just logically it can't unless nothing, unless he can't change anything. And the whole movie is him struggling against time, not wanting to change, yeah. you know? Well, to like speak to Blake's thing, I think, Blake, I agree with you in a lot of ways because I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. But I think what sets these movies apart and what always ends up setting time travel movies apart is how they choose to go about introducing you to it. I think that every bit of the of um, <laughs> Back to the Future, <laughs> anyway, every bit of Back to the Future is set up to kind of be like a lighthearted romp. Then you have this movie, which, like Chris says, goes through a lot of pretty painstaking things to try and set up and actually be consistent early on before eventually screwing that up. It's like, you know, if you watch the first three quarters of this movie, everything is still consistent, more or less. Sure. Then suddenly, the moment they start making you realize that the blackouts are him coming from the future coming back that's what suddenly breaks the loop so i think it's because this movie is trying to be a darker more serious take that you don't have the or at least not everyone would necessarily have the same ability like you do with even i do with back to the future i don't watch it and then be like oh this, there's no way this could happen it's immediately suspending my dis excuse me immediately suspending my disbelief but this movie doesn't quite do that. Um, but Chris, to your point about the blackouts, I think the movie still yeah. works with the blackouts. I think that the problem doesn't actually come until you make the blackouts about something other than rep than repressing memories. That's the problem I have. Even, yeah. Well, yeah. I think every bit of the fact that even though he can read the notebook which is exactly what the doctor said is that maybe when he's writing these things down, he'll actually remember even if he's not cognizant of it. So I think him being able to read these and kind of force his brain to remember something. And then that being able to act as a catalyst for him to go back 
is cool. That's not the problem. I think the problem immediately comes when the movie makes it evidently clear in both the knife scene and his father choking him scene that the that the scenes we saw earlier were like a direct result of his future meddling suddenly it's all ruined right it i don't know because it's it's but the thing is it doesn't matter in the sense of like it's it's entertaining but it was just one of those things on second watch i realized this and i'm like oh this kind of makes this make no sense to me you know the thing because it's a very entertaining movie right like i i can never tell someone like oh this is not you shouldn't watch this because this minutia of the movie breaks it but at the same time like the i i think the movie is fundamentally broken and that took me out of it on second watch because on second watch you realize like oh shit this is when this happened this is when that happened and it was this the second it hard cuts to ethan getting choked by his dad i was like Oh, this movie's this movie is what the why did they do that? <laughs> why? Why did you do this? Yeah. Cuz I I just don't understand how they can all they can't all exist at the same time and that I don't know. Yeah. And it it sucks too because I kind of like the scene of him going back and talking to his dad, but I hate that the way that it ends has to be a direct result of the beginning parts of the movie. Like I love him going back and talking to his dad and his dad realizing that he's got the same problem, like the same curse. Yeah, but because they had to try and be like, wouldn't it be cool if we made it tie into the beginning part when you see him happening as a kid? No, just let it be a completely different timeline where he's talking to his dad, and this time he doesn't get choked, and maybe he gets answers this time because we're led to believe the first time that maybe he didn't. You know, yeah. it's just mm-hmm. it's weird, and because like you said, it ends up being this thing where a lot of the times, like the knife thing there's not a traumatic memory there. So it ends up being inconsistent with the rest of the stuff where, you know, at first you're watching and you think that he may be grabbing the knife because he's having, he's thinking back and like blacking out mentally because he's referencing something that's happened to him, but you're able to kind of write that off. But then when you find that there's literally nothing there and the only reason that that particular blackout existed is because it was him coming back into his own body. It starts to Mm -hmm. weaken how the blackouts play into the movie when they otherwise are a pretty cool addition. And like you said, they work as the device that starts him needing to write this journal down. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. It's unfortunate while we're talking about the weird things that come from that at the end of, you know, the normal version, I thought it was really weird that whenever he went back and told her that he didn't want to see her anymore so she wouldn't stay with him, which I like that it referenced the fact that she told him she was going to go with her mom but didn't stay because she wanted to be with him or whatever. Right. What I thought was really weird about that scene that also felt weirdly inconsistent is that it showed his memories altering, which I loved. Every time it had his like brain have to suddenly process the memories of this timeline, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. But then that one Mm -hmm. in particular, it showed Kaylee and all of her stuff happening, even though, and it showed it in a way that was like, it was his cortex doing this, but he, in this timeline, he wouldn't have known those things. He wouldn't have been around to see those things. So why are we seeing her life through his brain? You could have shown all those same scenes without it being tied to him so that we as the viewer get to see what happens to Kaylee and her brother 
but there should be no reason that that's filtered through the the same memory thing that we see every time that Evan goes back and comes back to a new timeline. I thought that was very strange. I don't know. I tries to tell you a omniscient story while also telling you a POV story. And that doesn't really, it doesn't work obviously, but there's just no reason to do a lot of it. You know? Yeah. I think it's like, if, if any of what I'm saying just made yeah, sense, no, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I get what you're saying. It's like, the movie does have to contend with the fact that it sometimes wants you to be all knowing and show you everything. But then a lot of the times it's trying to act as if you're supposed to be seeing everything through the eyes of Evan. So again, like you said, a, mm. a POV, but I, you know, it's funny. I, I like Blake kind of mentioned, it's not that it doesn't work <clears throat> as much as that it doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny. You're right. So it's like, like Blake mentioned, if you just sit back and even you mentioned, if you just sit back and watch the movie and you just don't think about it a whole lot, it's pretty fun. But the moment you allow yourself to think about it to any real degree, you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, exactly. Which is a shame. Uh, so, but can, The whole thing for me that I don't understand is instead of going back and being mean to Kaylee as a child, couldn't he have just gone back and told the dad not to abuse his children? I thought about that, too. When, and then everything's done and over and he lives his happy dorm room life and has sex with this extremely hot woman all the time <laughs> and then also has her brother as a friend i i thought about instead all that of, too um the thing is is that by that point and i don't is it ever made clear if tommy is her older brother yeah i think he was because i think he was in my opinion like uh, in the uh pedophilia scene i think it's very clear that he's older just in the way the kids look See, you that's know that's what i was kind of mentioning too but then suddenly he looks younger than everyone in the teen years well here's the thing and this is gonna this is gonna be fucked up what i'm gonna say but it's it fits with the movie i think if you think about it tommy also aged out of his role in the movie if you know what i'm trying to say i'm, I'm not sure does that make sense I think Tommy was too old for his father. That's why he brought in Evan. Mm. Yes. Okay. Now I get what you're saying. Yeah. Because he goes from saying, I'm going to be the star, which I thought was really interesting at that right. scene to begin with, because to me, it made it seem clear that it, he had at least some inkling of what was going on. And it creates this kind of subtext throughout the movie, which I think the movie kind of continues to push to where it's like, it's more than, it's more than just the fact that, Kaylee is his sister. It almost paints this kind of sub narrative that he's in love with Kaylee in a weird twisted well, way yeah. from what this kind of this was. It's kind of the same thing that we had said in um, the witch where it's, if you only raise these two children around each other, they're going to end up falling in love with each other. Right. right? That kind of like, and staring at each other, it's the same kind of thing when your father is having your first sexual experiences are with your sister because your father is a pedophile. Yeah. You know, I think that, <laughs> I would imagine you end up with a very strong bond. To well, your and sister. I think that that makes way more sense, you know, for anybody who doesn't necessarily see it that way. I think that that's why when he starts acting belligerent and crazy, which he's already an asshole, basically, but we don't see him actually act crazy until he sees someone encroaching in on his sister. And that's yeah. when you have that moment of like, oh, Okay, yeah, the fact that he was left out on that and then had to sit there and watch and you see him creepily turning that doll's head. Where I was kind of going with all this is that I wondered, I thought that too. I thought, well, couldn't he just go back and do everything he did but be like, hey, fuck bag, 
be cool to all your kids, <laughs> you know, like be yeah, a good parent. Exactly. And if he did that and it worked out, like the only thing I have is that if he is older, that means he had suffered more of this in Kaylee. He understood more of what was going on between him with Kaylee. And I think that there is a potential argument, not necessarily the most solid, but if he is older and he was already that demented by the time he's sitting on the staircase, spinning this doll's head around, is the movie implying that he's maybe too far gone at that point anyway? I think not because well, later I, I, the simple act of saving a kid and a, a mother ends up turning him into like a, a follower of Christ, you know? Yeah. Well that, and then the movie is also very clear to tell you that because the father was no longer abusing Kaylee, he was sending Mega all that energy abusing. to his, his son. Yeah. Right. So what I don't understand is if, if, Evan just said there the thing is this is another problem on rewatch for this movie in every situation that they alter and it doesn't work out there was a better way to do it sure you know like you could with, with the mailbox the same thing right well not even that like think about this right he could have told the dad not to abuse his children instead of focusing on Kaylee but the only thing he's thinking about is Kaylee because Kaylee killed herself I get like kind of the little nuances of why sure. but he could have also instead of instead of light using a cigarette to light the firecracker he could have just lit the firecracker or you know there's all these little things well i think the bigger thing is he didn't have to go and be right at the mailbox he could just tell her stop we put a firecracker in your mailbox and a big one and it's done right. now. Like you said, there's a lot of nuance as to why he's overreacting and failing to do it the way that we, as the viewer, who's not caught up in the emotions that he is supposed to be feeling that we go, well, wouldn't yeah. you logically do this? But you're, you're right. I mean, you know, I, it does seem like he always goes back to the same point in time, which again, it was something mm -hmm. I wish they would have given a little more pushback to. I don't know if it's that he can only go into time about what he was actually writing at, at that time. I think it's that. So yes. since he didn't necessarily and I think, write that he used a cigarette to do that, he can't go back right to that moment. Instead, he has to go to write when he's writing about, you know, seeing the car in the mailbox and whatnot. I guess maybe, maybe yeah. that's there. I don't know. It's just there. I just think the movie has so many opportunities to. Hell, he could have gone back, told the father not to abuse the children, and then taken the firecracker. <laughs> you know. Like, it's just one of these things where you have this time travel power and then instead of spending a little bit of time, pun intended, and thinking about what you're doing, he keeps rushing back in to fix the stuff, yeah. which it's, it's human. But to me, when you're, when you're making a movie and you keep making the same mistakes, eventually resulting in what ends up quote unquote being the best timeline it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you doing it this way? Especially, I know we didn't watch the director's cut, but the director's cut is the single worst offender of this. <laughs> it's because that and that that ending doesn't make any fucking right, sense. Blake, I'm gonna let you <laughs> chime in here because I heard you start, and I think this is a good time to talk about that ending because I actually wanted to bring it up as well. So, Blake, you have the floor. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I was just agreeing. I was saying that the director's cut ending is just really fucking bad. We we haven't talked about exactly what it is, so let's do that. In the director's cut, which I've not seen recently, but Blake has, from what I recall, because I did see it, I watched it originally after I'd watched a normal ending. Like I just saw that as a 
kind of like what I was talking about where I didn't rewatch the whole movie. I just watched the difference in the ending. So he goes back into the womb and decides to strangle himself with the umbilical cord so that he never exists. Is there any added stuff to that Blake that you think that's, that needs to be mentioned? I don't think so. It's been three months, so I don't remember every little detail that was different. But that's that's the gist of it, and that's why it sucks. Yeah, he also shows himself. Kaylee growing up happy with her mom and stuff like that. So I don't I don't know what all was different. You know, I can't remember. So, so he, here's my thing about this in general. This is more of a question of curiosity, where we're just posing an answer. There might be one, and I would be really curious to see why, but. Do you think that this was a situation where this was the original ending that he wanted and yet the movie studio thought that it was too dark, too bad, whatever it may be? Or do you think that he thought of this as an ending and shot for it, but also shot for the other opportunity just because he thought, you know, hey, we have both if I last minute need to change and decide to pivot. I just I wonder how much of that studio influence versus the director shooting and then in editing, realizing which one he liked more. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't answer. I don't know. Yeah, I just genuine speculation because the reason I kind of bring that up is my note I kind of gave here is that the ending that we got where he goes back, tells Kaylee that if she ever comes around him again, he'll kill her family, which I thought was excessive. But I guess you got to say what you got to say to scare her off. (laughs) Uh, That's what we get. And then he goes on, comes back. He never met her, and that's all good. But he gets to continue going on, and he gets to be a psychologist or um, whatever it is that he is. I'm probably not in the right field. But he goes and does that. And then there's kind of this tinge of hope that happens at the end in a way where it's almost, I don't know if it's hope as much as it's kind of like a, it's mostly uplifting, but it kind of hammers home that sense of loss. And it's a smaller sense of loss of like, well, he didn't get to be with this girl who for all intents and purposes, we as the audience think that they're somewhat meant to be together. At least we'd be rooting for them to be together. Right. The director's cut ending on the other hand is kind of like the exact opposite of that it's an ending that's dark but with a light sense of to me an uplifting side (laughs) because the way i was kind of thinking about it and i kept it through my mind i kind of had it running in the back of my head like you know i know that that's the director's ending or the director's cut ending so why and like how does it play into the rest of the movie and he mentions to when he's talking to his dad and his dad suddenly is aware that he's talking to his adult son and he realizes that the curse, as he calls it, has been uh, passed down while the movie. And again, this is having not watched it while the movie, from what I understand does not expressly mention that this is involved in the reason as to why he's doing it. I think that the little bit of a tinge of hope is that, you know, that no one else is going to go through this because by him killing himself, he's stopping the curse from being passed down to any potential kids he has. Right. So I don't think that I view it as an immediately terrible ending, but since I've not seen it recently, it's almost like something where I have a really strong curiosity now to go watch it for complete context and see how I feel about it in comparison to the ending that we got. I just think it's real bad. (laughs) I do remember that it looks rough. It's another example of like the CGI CGI not being great at that time. And it's kind of an edgy decision. I get it. Like, 
But the movie's already set up that you can go back in time into your kid body with your full adult knowledge and everything. So I guess it's reasonable that you could go back as a fetus, know what an umbilical cord is, and know that I can just move my little bitty arm, wrap it around my <laughs> neck, and then go for it. <laughs> you know. But Chris yeah, it's and a choice. Blake, I'm going to open sure. it to it's both of you. Why for yourself, since you've both seen it for any of the viewers who may go and look at it, why do you guys think that it's such a bad ending in comparison to the actual studio release that we got? If you can do it quickly, I mean, it's fine. I'm just kind of curious as to what you think it is that boils down to why you think that ending is so much worse. Just fucking stupid. (laughs) I don't really have a better answer than that. It's just stupid. Just basic premise (laughs) of going back and killing yourself. Like even if it was him going back as a two-year-old and killing himself, is is that what it is, or is it because specifically it's he's in the womb? It's pretty specifically that he's in the womb, and a because he doesn't have a fucking uh, journal for being going from in the womb. (laughs) But two, it's just stupid. I don't know. It's the most contrived shit I've ever seen in my life. So both of you've seen it recently. I'm assuming, right? That that ending. Yeah. How does he go back? It's the. um, It's a video of his pregnant mom. That's what I was wondering because I know that they set up the fact that video allows him to go back. And I was wondering if they had like video of an ultrasound, a picture of an ultrasound. It was either ultrasound or like his mom was pregnant or something. Like I said, it's been three months, but it was something to her being like still pregnant. Okay. Well, I like that because when Chris first said that, I thought, surely it's not that he just thinks really hard and goes back to his, like, just remember when you were a baby, you can do this. (laughs) <laughs> okay so i i get that too because i thought about that when watching it like how does he get back to his mom like or to his womb i i should say first home <laughs> go to your womb <laughs> god uh okay so blake is that pretty much in line with chris as to why you think it's bad you, yeah, is it specifically really because of the baby or is it I, 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 chris mentioned it was contrived which i mean is clearly not false but I wonder if it could have been done in a way that wasn't trying to be so edgy. I don't think so. Okay. I think that, you know, back right. to the womb to strangle is just, it's inherently edgy. Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a that, way to do that. Sure. I don't know. It's also like taking everything we've been saying about him making bad decisions to the furthest degree, <laughs> where it's like, you killed yourself instead of just fucking figuring it out like what are you doing (laughs) here's the thing with the okay i'm sorry i keep fucking just going on rants i thought i liked this movie more than i do apparently but isn't the fact that he can go back in time like they set up this subplot that he's getting brain damage right if i'm not misremembering from doing this but if he goes back in time and changes the past he doesn't get that brain damage because he's changed the past and not gone back in time correct so logically he could do this over and over again Mm. right it doesn't make any sense this movie doesn't make any sense. That's not necessarily <laughs> that's not that's not necessarily talked about because I mean you could also argue that because do you notice that when they talk about that in particular that he's getting you know essentially the doctor said that he's 
having abnormal use and then he rolls in in the wheelchair and probably one of the funniest scenes of the whole movie. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah. So what the doctor's trying to tell you is I've got like 40 years worth of memories that just crammed in my head in the, in like, you know, record time. Yeah. So that makes me think that every time he's gone back, it would be different. So he would only ever have the normal amount of years of memories he would otherwise have stacked on top of his originals. And maybe not even that. If, we're led to believe that him going back allows everything else about him, you know, physiologically to change as well. So it does seem to me that the movie attempts whether or not it necessarily succeeds. It seems like it attempts to try and explain that the damage stacks over and over, uh, which actually kind of makes me think of what we see in the happy death day or whatever it's called death day, where yeah. every I was time she dies she continues to have even though she's alive she continues to have all the damage so it seems like it, the movie's trying yeah. to set it up for that so you're not wrong in that the movie doesn't do a good enough job explaining it but it it at least tries to lay a seed for that but it's uh yeah i guess but even if you look at that at it that way yeah. right if he's <sighs> I guess I've already said it, so I'm not really changing anything. Well, but if he's changing the if he's changing the past, it also changes the future. Even I don't know. I think I'm. I think my point is going to make any sense I, now that I'm like trying yeah, to say it out loud. I, I just I ultimately don't. get your point. I just think that the movie tries to write in a reason as to why somehow he and his father, because we know that his father has brain damage from doing this over and over and over and over again, that regardless of what you do, he as the, he as the person who's going back remains somewhat evergreen. You know what I mean? It's like, he's going to carry all the stuff. I mean, well see, but again, something that the movie does to kind of stop that doesn't make sense is why does his, why does his brain continue to carry the damage, but he can go back and at least as the movie says, it seems as though the movie implies that he goes back and since he goes back earlier than the mailbox scene, he doesn't get the burn from the cigarette from when he first went back. So it, by the mm-hmm. end of the movie, he doesn't have that scar. Right. So you're, if, if his anatomy or his skin is going to change based off of what he goes back and changes, then yeah, it is a little inconsistent that his brain somehow doesn't. Right. Yeah, it, it just And wh- what the fuck do you mean he has too many memories? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what does that even mean? So, I thought about <laughs> this. Oh, it's just like a stack of index cards on his brain. Yeah. That's fucking stupid. I thought I liked this movie and this doing this podcast is making me really <laughs> mad at this movie. Well, and you know the thing is, is that a lot of the ways were just because I, I still really enjoyed the movie and honestly talking about it's not making me enjoy it less. A lot of what I'm doing here is playing devil's advocate just to kind of see where the conversation goes as a result. And looking at the ways that the movie does try to attempt certain things and then where it just completely flounders elsewhere. But I put that in my notes as well about the memories is on the surface, I think it's interesting to have the idea of having more than one set of memory. And then my first question when it first came up was, does every time he does this, do all these memories compound? Which it seems like the movie implies through that little brain cortex thing that it's erasing the one memory and replacing it with a new one. But it could just be that it's replacing it. It's not replacing it. It's just going side by side because throughout the movie, he still has all of his original memories. But yeah, I thought about that mm-hmm. too. Like, are, is, he, is he just having 
compounding memories over and over and over again. And I like that the movie somewhat brushed against what that would do because of his inability to separate those two. Like when he's working with the frat house and he's talking to the pledges. And then while he's talking to him, suddenly he just breaks into that version of himself and starts acting like an asshole and reciting the Greek alphabet. (laughs) I wish the movie would have done a little bit more of that since it decided to set that up, but I at least liked it. It I don't know. Yeah, you're you're right. It is weird that these things are, it tried to set up inconsistent. And you, you compared it to happy death day, which I think, does this exact thing right because the whole thing with this brain damage thing is it's it's stakes that's all it's there for it's there so that you know this is the last time and it doesn't work here because he's going back in time and resetting the timeline it works in happy death day and happy death day it's the same thing it's just it's just a tension builder so that you know this is the last run. If tr- if Tree dies here, she dies. She can't do it again. But at least in that one, it's not it's not time travel in the same way. That one is it's a loop that's starting over again when yeah, she dies. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring so, up as well. It makes sense that it's compounding on itself because if you think about it, it would be kind of like it would be kind of like you live a week, but every day was Monday, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, you still lived that in all those days, but they were all just the same. Whereas this one, he lives entire different lives. Yeah. The fact that the fact that the fact that this what would have been a good mo- ending to this movie, not that it would have fixed a lot of my problems. What if one time he just doesn't wake up in the future because he got into a car accident as a fucking 16 year old? You know, that would have been an interesting ending. Stop it all. Where, yeah, well, think about it, right? Because he's changing everything in the past, but the, Evan is just happens to be lucky and lives his entire life, which I guess for a lot of people, that's the way it goes. But yeah, but it, it also doesn't stay consistent, right? Like, if you change so much, like, I don't know. you're bound to like totally fuck something up. You're bound, eventually. yeah. The thing, this movie is all about the butterfly effect, but the butterfly effect is really only two years of his life. It doesn't affect any other parts of his life, really. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm sorry to keep no, ranting. Okay. You guys can continue to take. You know, but while I just... you're talking about the idea of kind of where you think endings could have been interesting, we don't have to flesh them out necessarily. But what I kept thinking, because the movie sets up all these things, so if you cut the fact that he's actually using the blackouts as like him going back in time and that's why he's blacking out if you cut that and instead you kind of have it to where those are just about repressed memories and they're so strong that the emotional response that comes in with him within him is why he's able to work his way back uh, and take over into that timeline i wish that that's the max of what it was i don't you know you could definitely write a reason as to how he makes this work but I would have thought it was interesting to have him go back and instead of, like you mentioned, instead of having him wake up in the future, have him go back with the intent goal of how do I go back and stay back? Like, how do I go back and stay right. a kid and just live my life normally and never go back again? Like, I know all the things that are going to happen. I can still try and make the changes necessary without having to continuously jolt back to a new future. What if I just live this life and try and learn from my past mistakes that would have been really cool. And I think that there's ways that they could have written that that were more compelling and also did away with the problem that comes from the black, the blackouts being part of his, 
time travel escapades, I should call them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a couple of things that we haven't gotten into yet. That, <laughs> um, the story, I think we kind of talked about the majority of the story, Blake. I know that we were kind of dominating some of that. Is there anything about the story in particular that we've not already touched on that you just think is worthy of mention or that you just thought was noteworthy in general? Um, I mean, not really. I just really enjoy a lot of the different scenes, which is probably why I just enjoy the movie a lot overall. Let me me throw something out to you real quick and see if you see if you know what I'm talking about. Does the quote be gentle with me? I'm post coital. Does that mean <laughs> I don't? I think immediately so. I don't that. busted out laughing and wrote that in my notes. <laughs> so it's whenever at the beginning of the movie he walks in the room with Thumper, who's played by Ethan. Yeah, what's his name? Thumper's great. Probably my favorite anyway, part of the movie. Yeah, he he's fantastic. So he's walking in there, and the girl is leaving uh, <laughs> that he was having sex with, and. He's talking, and Evan ends up saying, uh, get up, we're going out. Uh, you're taking me out. And he goes, what? He said, did you ace another midterm? And then he says, no, I've had seven years with no blackouts. So that scene, whenever he goes to say that, he goes to like jump on him and kind of play with him. Whenever he does, Thumper says, be chintzel with me. I'm post-coital. Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed super hard. Oh, But one of the things I kind of wanted to bring up that is more of a side note than anything, uh, we kind of already talked about that the fact that this movie deals with some fairly dark subject matter, like, you know, repressed childhood memories, onset from things like child pornography and having no father due to mental illness and these different things. One of the things I thought was really, uh, I don't, I almost wonder, like, did this movie and Ashton Kutcher's part somehow play into this but ashton kutcher and his wife are both behind thorn which is the organization that fights against child sex abuse and does like stings and stuff and i I thought it was really interesting that he played a part in a movie where he was a direct victim of that when i I was watching that it kind of creeped into my mind of like wait a minute ashton kutcher is (laughs) behind a child sex abuse organization that like fights against it and yet here he is in a movie playing this exact part i wonder did he he, because apparently he had his own childhood situations that he dealt with. I think if I'm, I could be misspeaking. I don't think so though. And I think that's why he's a big proponent of this, but I wonder if he had some play and like some part in how the story took shape or if he took the role and specifically sought it after it because of the fact that it represented that. I don't know. Well, what I was reading is this movie wouldn't have been made if he hadn't taken the movie because he produced it and stuff oh i didn't realize he produced i'm not sure if that answers your question but that that, that sounds like he had a bigger i mean that doesn't necessarily mean that that inclusion in the story was because of him but yeah but he was the uh uh, driving force behind it yeah it's i think it's his company that did the movie Hmm. yeah produced by aston kutcher yeah, I knew he was always going to different like Congress and like all kinds of shit talking about that kind of stuff. So good on yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I guess now that we're kind of through the majority of the stuff, this is one thing that I found. It, it's just something I've noticed in a lot of movies. So 
while I thought about it, I went ahead and threw it down in my notes. And this is more of a question, I think, for people who are writer friends. So, Chris, I'm going to see how you feel about this. In movies, they'll have characters yeah. read out loud what they are writing. So at the beginning scene of this, when he's running into the thing and he grabs the projector and the pad and he slides under the desk and he starts writing that note, he's saying every word of it out loud. And yeah. Um, okay. I don't, I don't do that. I like if I'm rereading sometimes, like, uh, like if I'm rereading a draft, I'll like say it. And the only reason, but the only reason that I do that is I, I say the dialogue out loud to see if it makes sense being said. Sure if that makes any but i've never been like oh and odin walked through the forest and realized that the eyes were looking from him from behind the trees so in his fear he dropped his cigarette and started i've never done that it doesn't make any sense yeah so and part of the reason i give that is because it seems like it's probably more simply than not that it's just a way for them to give you the exposition without having to have you read Mm. but I found it weird that they filmed him doing it when later in the thing he's reading, but it's just being narrated to where you're hearing Ashton Kutcher slash Evan do this, but you're not seeing his lips move, which I think makes way more sense. So I was like, is this something that people actually commonly do? And that's why they chose to do that. Or is this just an excuse to give you early exposition to set up something? I mean, I could also see if you were like writing in fear, you would do that, you know, almost as like a, a fear. Yeah. Response. Well, that and almost like if you're, I guess sometimes if you're writing a grocery list, you'd be like eggs, milk, cereal, bread, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're getting out exactly what's in your head. Yeah. So that's another possibility, but well, I agree with you. It's just so it's just an exposition. Dump. It is weird. Now, when we're talking about in the, in the assets, uh, in the aspect of writing rather, we, me and you write differently. You know, I write music. So yeah. what I'll find myself doing is that when I'm writing lyrics and I'm going through, I will often stop and say them out loud because sometimes you'll say something in your head as you're writing it. And you'll be like, yeah, that works. But then when you actually go to say it, it doesn't flow out of your mouth like you thought. And it's like, oh, no, I have to change that to something that means similar things, but rolls off the tongue better and does a better job with this melody or this. So there is times where, like you mentioned with dialogue, you want to say something out loud that comes through. But in this movie in particular, I notice that in a lot of movies where they'll be writing and they'll just say it out loud. And then I've always felt like it's just a way to get exposition out. But it was more a way for me to ask, do you guys often read what you write out loud? <laughs> no, I don't ever do that. But I don't also no. write very often. Well, even even when you're not writing, oh, you, do you mean like physically write pen on paper? No, like anything. Okay. I, I just That's kind of what I meant. I mean, I like text you know, I write at work all day Discord, long. But I don't, know if, I don't think that's what you're talking about. <laughs> no. I, I mean, though, I guess it's the same basic mental response, right? I... I shouldn't. I should say I have seen people text and say what they're texting, and every mm-hmm. time I see it, it's very rare. But when I do see it, I find it so weird. But uh, who knows? Yeah, it's it's odd. <laughs> An odd choice. Okay, well, Blake, I think it's your time to shine here, buddy. Uh, was there any scenes or things about the movie in particular? I noticed you said that there was a lot of scenes you love. So let's start rolling those out. I know one of the ones I mentioned was the wheelchair scene where he comes in basically all nonchalant. I love that scene. What you got? 
Yeah, just um, a lot. A lot of my favorite scenes are really like when they're kids. Like mm-hmm. I really like the um, scene when they're in the woods after they get Lenny out of like from uh, what is he doing painting a airplane or whatever. Sure. And when they go out to meet Tommy out in the woods or whatever, or they don't know that Tommy's out there, but they end up okay. meeting Tommy out there and stuff. That scene yeah. is really good. Um. Also, for some reason, especially as a kid, really loved when Tommy like beat the fuck out of that dude in the theater for no reason. Well, not for no reason. I mean, he tripped him. Yeah, I mean, the response was just really visceral and like <laughs> not expected. Yeah, <laughs> excessive. I'm, yeah, it's crazy to me that I feel like this movie did a better job of grounding the fights to where they felt far more impactful and visceral between a fight between like a sadistic kid and a teenager than a lot of the fight scenes in like some of the superhero movies. And I'm actually not talking about Marvel right now. I'm actually talking about DC's problem. Like man of steel just I'm feels saying, like man, people flying around in the air. Marvel tear tonight. <laughs> Yeah. Now I'm talking about Shazam to an extent, but I think Shazam is doing it in a way that's making fun of it. So it works out. And then you have movies that are more serious, like Man of Steel, where it's just like you have all these fights going on and you're superheroes. But this movie felt more visceral and impactful than any hit in Man of Steel at all. And that that blew my mind because, like you said, I, one of the scenes that actually kind of gave me like a slight wince <clears throat> was when he got tripped and you see Tommy grab that little pole thing and just like jamming it into the dude's yeah. face Ugh. fucking rough I love that it. and the four <laughs> by four to the head both of those made me feel like ah yeah it was filmed really well because it, it was like and said, sound like design is a huge it. deal on that as well yeah yeah, yeah they, like, they do a lot of build up you know because that's that's what the sound design for that stuff is when you're a, when you're out if someone swung a four by four at you you wouldn't hear whoosh, but when you put that into a film, <laughs> it adds to that impact. You know, it's a it's yeah. the build up, and then the payoff is the thud from when it hits across your face. Yeah, it their sounds in movies aren't always realistic, but it always makes it seem realistic. Yeah, it's it's the way somehow always, or another I mean. that you feel like you remember those things happening, right. whether that's through conditioning or just natural, you know, response. Who knows? Yeah, because I think about like verbal storytelling. Do you think we've always done that? Do you think we've been like, oh, he picked up the stick, like even as cavemen, unga boonga, picked up stick, pow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Blake, did you have any other? Because those two, those two scenes in particular were very visceral and very memorable. And also, dude, that child actor, or I I should say the the teen actor specifically for Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, real good terrifying in a lot of ways like that little smirk he gave when he's being carried off by the police yeah i'm like i'm a grown adult and i was unnerved by that kid (laughs) (laughs) oh no i could beat my ass man (laughs) so chris Um, do you got any scenes that were immediate to you or blake did you have another one i'm sorry no you're good one more um when thumper and evan are at the bar and the jocks are like throwing popcorn at thumper or whatever (laughs) <laughs> and he just smashes the pool stick and starts whistling. I just fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. Chris, you got any scenes that immediately come to mind that you just really loved? I mean, I really like the scene of Evan killing um God Tommy. Damn it. Yes, Tommy, thank you. But no, yeah, I, I liked when that whole scene I do 
have a problem with that scene. I had this problem the first time I saw it where it's a clear self-defense. Not entirely sure why he's in a what looks to be a federal prison. I thought the same thing. Whatever. I like, think it must have to do with be... like you keep hitting him after he's already down. Like you've already you're done defending yourself. That, no, dep- that because... depends on states and a bunch of other stuff. Because if it's self-defense, you're wait I mean you're going until you think he's not going to be of harm to you anymore. Yeah, look, I don't want to have a, a cop conversation, but it's the same argument as to why a cop unloads the entire clip instead of one bullet. It's to make sure that the threat is taken care of. You know what no, I mean? Right. Like, I'm not saying that he deserved to go to prison forever. I was just saying that's my only. That's what. That's what I thought because I thought the same thing. And right. Like logically, I was like, well, I guess maybe they could argue that like this dude was fucking down and he just kept fucking Excessive. swinging and then picked up a bat and then hit him and then you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just think that was the one where I, I, I remember even thinking that the the first time I watched it, where I'm like, you might lose Kay, you might lose uh, Kaylee, but you don't, you don't, you're not going to jail forever. For right. That. And you also, and his mom, it feels like you wouldn't even be in jail in the interim. It looks like they'd be like, ah, no, maybe house arrest or something. I, like you know, just so we make sure you're not going to hurt anybody a, else. It seems like a very clear case of of self-defense to the point where like i don't even know why he'd be arrested at the scene well he also yeah. went through like trial and all that shit like bail and was... everything without reading his journals he just yeah, went right? straight from the i thought about that too like as soon as that happened prison. wouldn't you which i thought maybe he's just trying to see like once he gets out for tommy tommy's out of the picture and then he gets to be happy like i thought maybe that was what he was doing but you know what that does lead us to even if it just ends up being that prison is nothing more than a, the way they wrote it was just to get him into prison. It led to one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie because I just find it so interesting <laughs> when he invoked religion to get his cellmate to help him. Yeah. By, and I also thought it was great symbolism that he ended up having it be that he used the things to stick holes to his hands because he's already invoking religion. And then he's bearing the marks of Jesus by the time he's done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You guys like holy yeah. shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And also, this is a scene I super remembered from this movie when he goes down on the guy and he's like, "Oh!" And then he pulls the shiv out and just stabs him in the dick. Oh, yeah. woo! He deserved it. Well, you know <laughs> that was painful. a callback to yeah, the scene a- in the school too. That drawing he drew was those cellmates. Like, he even had the Nazi ink on his arm. See now, what I thought was oh, weird, shit! I didn't notice that. What I thought was weird there. That was one of those things where we brought up earlier, right? That it show it seemed that all of his blackouts were him coming back. Is that what it was? Did he draw that because he was coming back and trying to have a reason to do something and just fuck around so he could then stab his things through or what? Yeah, the ink, the the very first scene, whenever not the very first scene of the movie, but the scene where the mom goes back to the school and the teacher's telling her about the drawing. Sure. That drawing is the bald Nazi dudes. And, it is. Um, and I the saw white the swastika shirts. on his arm. Yeah, yeah, and the swastika on his arm. So I assume like he was just waiting. He was sitting there in class as adult him in his mind. You know what I mean? So like, did you notice that the like, second time around? His time. Yeah, but did you notice the second time around when you see the drawing, when he's finishing it up, when he's about to go stab his hands onto the little receipt holder things, that there's two bodies? There was two bodies in the first one. I thought there was only one of the single guy in the first one, and then there was no. like a stacked body on the second one. No. Now I want to know. I'm going to have to go look whenever we're done with this. But I thought it was one what? to begin with and then two, and I thought, oh, that's because there's two guys he has to deal with now. No, it, <laughs> but, it was two in the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, I love that scene though. Across the board, I thought that was just great. And that's a nice little payoff thing right there, but it doesn't mean that it makes it worth the fact that he's done that going back. Going to what my brain was thinking, because I forgot about the drawing, even though I remembered the prison thing. In my mind, I kept thinking to myself, oh, Russ, uh, Tommy's fucked up ass <laughs> drew that and then ended up putting it off onto Evan. But that's not <laughs> what happened. I just thought that would be fitting because we see Tommy be a complete psychopath for so much of this movie that it would seem fitting that he'd be the one to draw that crazy shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the the scene with the... Hey, you're a... You're a Christian, right? You, you're a God-loving <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> ah, Jesus speaks to me in my dreams. I burst out laughing because I thought, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's about it for me. Yeah, I'm good. I don't have much to yell about. Oh, I actually do have one thing. This isn't like necessarily a complaint. But I don't believe for a second that Ashton Kutcher Ashton Kutcher, even without arms and legs, could get any girl he wants. That that I was very I, I didn't like that part at all. I'm like, you're this isn't realistic. <laughs> so here's another random thing that just came to mind because I remember it crossing my mind a couple of different times. Am I the only person that noticed that I don't know if it was lighting or makeup or supposed to portray him differently as different timelines go through. But why did Evan's lips keep changing color so much in this movie? Like they're normal colored I me mean, to begin with. Then like the next timeline where he wakes up, they're like super red, like super red. Like he's wearing lipstick or something's going on. And then that. whenever he's got the, the nubs from where his arms are blown off, his lips are like incredibly pale. Huh? Yeah, it kept striking that. me because I was like, what is going on with this dude? Because at first I really noticed it whenever he was he had super red lips. And I was like, man, does Ashton Kutcher have like really like deep red lips? And then the next scene around, they weren't that. And I thought, what in the hell is going on? It might have been his stunt double, Kevin Malone. <laughs> yep. Nope. <laughs> it's not Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> I wanted to make that joke. I'm glad. I mean, uh, somewhere in the episode, I'm glad you did. <laughs> I had to do it. I've been waiting for my moment. You've been waiting. Well, good. You got it. All right, guys. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me. Um, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is that I still really enjoyed the movie, even oh, I though I know it, yeah. we just spent an hour and a half almost basically saying why the movie doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, I knew. I've yeah, sorry about that. Sense. Like, that's fine. Like, like I said, that's kind of like just beside the point for me when it comes to these kind of movies. Well, you're right about time travel too, right? I, I, there's very few time travel things that end up treating it with gloves that are very respectful of what it's trying to pull off. And that's why I in, uh, assert again, if you like time travel media at all, any listeners out there, and you have an Xbox One or a PC, so yeah, if you can play it for part of your Game Pass subscription, if you already have it, that is uh that's it for us this week so i guess the first thing that we've got to do is come together at this round table that we janky knights have put together and rate this bad boy so i'm going to keep my order from first early episode blake i'm gonna let you go first what did you rate the movie all right i give it four and a half stars it's pretty high because i think there are issues but 
and like I think y'all pointed them out, but again, like it doesn't ultimately bother my enjoy, like bother my enjoyment of the film. Sure, but it does keep it from being like a perfect five, I guess. Okay, Chris, you go from a five from your first time watching it down to a four and a half, <laughs> two and a half, two and a half. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it. I I was pissed off the entire time I was watching it. <laughs> Ooh. So, now I almost think I but, need, which I, clearly I caught on to a lot of the things you were talking about my fir- my first rewatch in forever as well. So, but I almost wonder if it would be exacerbated on a rewatch where the charm and what the movie does get right is not as fresh. So all you're left with well, is what I, the movie is actually giving you. When um before we started, I had messaged Blake because we were both talking about it. Like, are we actually even going to rewatch this movie? Because we've both seen it so recently. And I think I said to him, I'm like, I have a massive problem with this movie and it happened in the first 10 minutes. So like that to me was yeah. the big thing where I was immediately annoyed. So <laughs> so then it watch the first 10 minutes enjoyment afterwards. Yeah. The thing is, like, look at it. If you're listening to this episode, and you want to have just a good time watching a fun movie it's a, i gave it a five my first time on my second time when i was thinking about the movie i gave it a two and a half so choose your fighter i guess <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm gonna kind of land right in the middle ish of you two i was debating even when watching it i was debating giving it a four because of the fact that those things came up but much like Blake was doing, I, I think I'm, I'd be comfortable with a four because it does so much right and I really enjoyed it. But I'm kind of in my mind juggling between a three and a half and a four because I think that part of a rating for me at least is not only how good the experience it is, but also a movie like this is a movie that I think most people from subject matter would not be like, Oh yeah, I I would never watch that again in fear of it ruining the experience. I'm like, you know, I think a lot of people would take this type of movie and think this is a movie I should be able to watch more than once based off of what it's about. But as Chris is kind of showing, if you do that, it does somewhat hit your ability to enjoy it as much. So Blake also shows I've seen it 130 times. So (laughs) yeah, though Blake also shows the other side of that to where you still don't give it a five out of five. But you recognize it as a really good experience, despite the flu- the few flaws that it has. Yeah, it's so, kind of fun. I'm I'm gonna be de- decisive here. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a four because I did really enjoy it, and I told y'all last week when I chose the movie that I had not watched it since like 2007 or eight. That was the first time I'd watched it, and then I immediately watched the director's ending, and I've not seen it since. So this is my first time watching this movie in about 12 years, and the entire time before towards the end when I, that finally happened, I was like, man, I am amazed at how well this movie's held up and how much I'm really enjoying this. And even noticing what I noticed didn't really take away from my enjoyment so much as it just continued to have that other side of me thinking about the problems that it did introduce while still having the other part of me able to enjoy it. So that's cool. It's a pretty good score all the way around, I think. So I think next week we have a what Blake movie. Is that correct? We do. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give y'all a choice. Do you want a four hour movie? (laughs) Uh, No. Y'all want a crime drama with like some comedy kind of thrown in? Or do you want a like heavy metal vampire like horror movie? 
if you're telling who directed the heavy metal horror movie is it well, Michael you didn't Legos. immediately okay well you didn't immediately answer who i thought you were gonna say so i'm it doesn't matter all right we'll do the I thought you were gonna say a fucking Rob Zombie no, no, movie, no. and I was like, I don't like his movies. <laughs> Alright, so we'll just do that one then. We'll just do, it's called Bliss. It came out last year, and it is streaming on Shudder. Oh, wait a minute. It's only 80 I, minutes, Chris. I think I remember the Thank trailer God. for this. Yeah, the trailer. The movie's fucking nuts. I'm excited to watch, rewatch it. The trailer it. was really cool for it. So I'm excited to see this. I didn't realize from the trailer that it was vampires. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, super good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. It's so it's on Shutter, but you can watch it somewhere else. No, well, I mean, you can buy it anywhere else if you want. Gotcha. But it's free on. It's not free. You pay for Shutter. You know what I mean? It is streaming yeah, on Shutter with your subscription. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, cool. All right. Well, that's it for that. And that means that we just need to close this show out. So, as always, thank you, gentlemen and gentle women. All right. Well, you've let yourself that be the ending. So, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, which we are always thankful for, head over to patreon.com slash where you can get this show early as well as early content for our gaming podcast, Triangle Squared, where Chris and I look at individual games and do a series called Spoiler Chats where we talk all about them. Much like this show, but a little more focused on gaming. So, if you want to do that, head over there. But thanks to our patrons, as we always give shout-outs to. We have Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Shabib, Jason Clendenning, and lastly, Richard Shaver. Thank you. Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.